You are listening to the Chef John Podcast. I'm Andrew Scrivani. And I'm Chef John, the rapper on this candy bar. So here we are. We're back. We're back. How are you? What's going on in Northern California? Not much. How you doing? You know, I got out on the beach today. Milo was laying in a puddle. You know, things are good. Things are good. Now that the weather's warm and I don't have to wear 17 layers just to walk my dog, I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah. In fact, I bet a good part of the year you have better beach weather than Northern California has. That's like one of the big unknowns people think, oh, California, beautiful beaches. No, seriously, I, I, you know, I was planning on surfing in, in Northern California the last time I was up. And when I saw you and I had my winter wetsuit with me, so yeah. like, it's crazy cold up there. What I've been thinking about really, especially like creatively and, and a lot of times in the kitchen are these sort of happy accidents that happen. And I've been thinking about asking you if you had had any of these sort of happy accidents where you intend to do one thing and something else happens and it just comes out great. I'm like the leftover king. So I like I find ways to make something great out of whatever's in the fridge. But, you know, that's not exactly a happy accident. That's a little bit of skill and a little bit of luck. But I was just wondering about one of those things where you just happen into something that's just amazing. And you have so much experience. I was just wondering, you must have a story like that. I have too many stories like that. <laughs> but, uh, but I do have one that really sticks out in the memory banks. Uh, and in fact, happy accident now these days, uh, because of where we live, we're calling that kismet. Mm. That's right. That's right. We live in a happy accident. <laughs> And I'll tell that story in detail at a future date. But food-wise, I, I would say my happiest accident ever, uh, also known as maybe the best meal I've ever cooked. Wow. Certainly outside of a restaurant. That's saying a lot. It was a situation taking Michelle away for a romantic, you know, bed and breakfast weekend, decided to go to Mendocino. Mm. And it was a long time ago. I don't remember if it was a birthday, anniversary, you know, some special occasion. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, in charge of setting up the meal, the restaurant plan, the fun part. You know, I got the, and I like doing that stuff. I, I found a cool little cottage fireplace. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm I, you know, I'm one of these wing it guys. You probably know this. I don't have spreadsheets and checklists and clipboards. So I figured we'd just drive up there, Northern California, Mendocino, big tourist destination. It's got to be a lot of options. Uh, come to find out there's only like three restaurants in the entire town or anywhere close. And uh, I forget, one was closed for repairs, uh, one was booked, and I think one was um, just, you know, closed that day. One had burned down <laughs> the night before you got No, there. not quite that severe, but uh, I think it was like closed for routine maintenance. It's like, you know what I do my routine maintenance if I had a restaurant when I wasn't open? So anyway, long story short, we get up there and I uh, have no reservations to take my lovely bride for uh, this glorious dinner I promised. You didn't have Anthony Bourdain with you either. Did not. And I sort of went with the old, hey, little change of plan. I got an idea. We got this gorgeous fireplace in the room. I'm going to cook you dinner in the fireplace. We're going to go get some beautiful local food and just change of pace. You know, we did a lot of restaurants, so it was it was really a nice change of pace. It sounds like a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah, or that. But anyway, she uh, she... She kind of, you know, was raising an eyebrow, but, you know, went with it. And uh, now I got to find, you know, food, of course. So we drive into Mendocino and just by sheer luck, some little grocery store has this 
the most beautiful fresh caught salmon you've ever seen obviously wild salmon just big old thick center cut beautiful filet so i said you know what? i'll take a pound and a half of that got some little new potatoes went and found uh, some heavy duty aluminum foil i think a lemon tarragon in fact i didn't even need a whole bunch of tarragon i now that i'm remembering i think did I just take a sprig? Maybe it fell into. Come on, it was growing on the side of the road, and yeah. maybe the a sprig from a bunch somehow fell into the bag of potatoes. I don't know, but anyway, we ended up with a sprig of tarragon, and so I had the main course covered, some butter, of course, uh, and then looking in the freezer section for uh, some ice cream or something, you know, easy for dessert. I see these uh, frozen pie shells. Not something I normally would purchase, but I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe we could just bake a pie in the fireplace because I saw on the side of the road on the way to get the the salmon, uh, someone was selling fresh berries on the side of the road, huckleberries. So I'm like, you know what? Um, I think we got enough sugars in the coffee kit in the room. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make this happen. This is next level right here. It's totally next level. It was, you know, you know how the the sports dudes say the game slows down. Uh, that that was. That was for me. It was all. It was all coming together. It was like a slow motion. They break. also say a blind squirrel sometimes finds a nut. Up. Broken watch, right? <laughs> anyway, so get back to the room. Wrap up the salmon in the foil, butter, tarragon, a little bit of lemon, new potatoes in another pouch. Build a nice big roaring fire. We got you know bottle of wine down by the time the salmon's cooked. Did you get a survival badge for this one? <laughs> uh, the, no, no. Cook it. And, you know, it's kind of a guess when you're cooking salmon in a giant roaring fireplace wrapped in three layers of foil. So I went for the, when you hear sizzling, you're probably good because by the time you take it out, unwrap it. And I just kismet, happy accent, whatever you want to call it, just nailed it. One of the, the most perfectly translucent, medium, perfect salmon you've ever had in your life. Just insanely good. So you didn't time it. You went by your sound. Went by sound. Just because, you know, time, uh, as Einstein observed, change, it warps a little bit after a bottle of wine. So it's, <laughs> it's not the easiest thing to judge. So anyway, that, the salmon went really well. We ate most of it, saved a little bit. We were like, you know, we'll do some breakfast with the, the cold leftovers. And then I have to go to dessert. So I go open up our four or five sugars in the coffee kit with the huckleberries, mix it right in the Ziploc bag it came in. Pour that into the uh, Mrs. T's or whatever it was. Uh, I hope they're a sponsor. Uh, into the pie crust. Wrap that in foil. Now, by now, it's pretty late in the evening. And I, we're pretty well through two bottles of wine by this point. So tuck the wrapped up pie into the ashes. And uh, we ended up taking a little nap. Uh-oh. Air quotes. And fall asleep. Three, four hours go by, wake up. I don't know what time it is, early in the morning. Probably, I don't know if it was even light out yet, but very, very early. To the smell of burnt pie crust. Hmm. As in, yeah. yeah, I know that smell. That's a disaster I was predicting. So it's, you know, I'm thinking, how yeah, this started so well. She bought my story about the romantic dinner in the fireplace inside of the restaurant. Uh, and now this. It's not going to wake. Anyway, I'm like, let me pull it out and look at it before uh, jump to conclusions here. Unwrap it. And much to my amazement and relief, what I was smelling was just some of the, the berry juices had kind of leaked out between the cracks in the foil. And it, you know, literally burned to the bottom of the fireplace, you know, 
And that's what gave that really strong kind of something burnt in the oven smell. But the pie itself was like a food stylist could not have gotten the golden brown crust I got. It was <laughs> so ridiculously perfect. And because it had sat there so long and the fire had died down, it was basically just warm ashes by the time I pulled it out. The liquid in the berries had evaporated or, you know, just it sort of dehydrated. I don't want to say dry because it was like a perfect jelly, but it had formed itself into this incredibly intensely colored flavored huckleberry jam. And then you went out into the field and found a goat and milked the goat and then separated the milk from the cream and whipped it up. And then you put that on top of that. I'm sorry. Are you not impressed with the story thus far? I got to (laughs) whip. No, I'm just feeling really (laughs) inadequate right now. Anyway, don't bring me down. No, we didn't do goat's milk, but I did wake my wife up and been like, excuse me, would you like some perfect huckleberry pie I made while we were sleeping? Um, So that was like the best meal, one-two punch that I think I've ever experienced, especially, like I said, with no, literally no equipment, you know, a fork and a knife and whatever you find in the, the kit in a bed and breakfast. And it was just so memorable and so delicious. And it would be, and I think what made it so special, it would be impossible to reproduce. But basically, we could sum this up as it's better to be lucky than good. Yes, yes. Although, in fairness, I would say try to be good also. We established that sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, and that happy accidents are things that are sometimes kismet. There's also this other phrase, I'm not particularly fond of it, but it seems appropriate at times, is fake it till you make it. And I think it's sort of in the same kind of category as a happy accident or better to be lucky than good. And uh, there's a story that you told me about uh, the beginning of your career Mm -hmm. at the uh, San Francisco Opera House that I think fits the bill. Yes. So I want to hear it again. And I want you to tell everyone all about that story, because there is something uh, very apropos uh, to our theme tonight. Yes. Well, first of all, apologies to anyone that's a fan of opera. And they're hoping the story was that I could sing. And that's what got me to San Francisco. And then, but no, quite the opposite. We have to sort of go back in time to my last year of culinary school. By far, least favorite class was garmage, which... You want to define that for the rest of us? Two of the five French words I know. It's the station in the kitchen that does like all the fancy cold dishes, salads, vegetable carvings. You know, if you're working in a big hotel or cruise ship, it's the ice sculptures. It's the... You know, the, you ever see those really super fancy pates with the seven layers and mm-hmm. they got the carved vegetables around them and the canapes and the heavy okay. floors. It's all that fancy. So pretentious. No, nothing anyone eats. It's like the stuff no one touches on a buffet. Right. And they go for the, you know, the, the actual food. But anyway, for some reason, especially back in the 80s, um, this, this was still a, a big thing. The 1880s? Or- <laughs> the 1980s. So I just had no patience for this class. I was a hotline cook. I was going to be flipping saute pans and broiling, doing everything but carving radishes into roses to put on top of a, you know, a pheasant ballantine. It was just like not into it. So I basically slept, walked through this entire class. The only thing I paid attention to, and I think it was literally the only thing I wrote in my notebook or sketched a picture of, was one of the local caterers from town 
was doing a little bit of a, a demo on some of her things that she used to decorate her platters with. And, and that normally wouldn't excite me, but she made this one thing. It was a yellow crookneck squash that she put a carrot nose on and two floppy carrot feet and then skewers into a potato with a green onion tail. And she cut the wings, but not all the way through and then wedged those open. Uh, and it looked just like a yellow squash bird. And in fact, if anyone Googles Chef John squash bird, uh, they will see pictures of this thing. Well, that's it. I was just craving a visual on that. So yes. I just thought it was funny, cartoonish. So I remember just sketching that. And it was like, that was my notebook for Garmage. I was like, all the stuff you're supposed to learn, I just, I'm never going to use this stuff. Anyway, I, I come to uh, the end of my uh, career at Paul Smith and I go out to do my externship at a hotel in Montana Glacier National Park, the Mini Glacier Hotel. I've been told some of the scenes from The Shining that were shot outside were actually shot on location there. That was like their one claim to fame. Uh, and maybe someone like walking through part of the old, it was a really old Swiss chalet, super cool, super creepy, uh, definitely haunted. We did regular service and every Friday there was a, a buffet for the guests and I was just a regular line cook. And all the employees there were quote unquote top students from the East Coast culinary schools. So there was two of us from Paul Smith, there was a couple from Johnson Wales, CIA, et cetera. So a very competitive environment. And of course, when you're you know, 19 and you know, just graduate college school, you know everything literally, and you're the best at everything. So the chef hears us talking about all these like grandiose ideas we have for the buffet. And he's like, you know what? Last buffet of the year, we are going to go full out with the full-on classic grand buffet, French buffet, where all this stuff you guys have been bragging about all summer. I want to see these. Galantines and Ballantines and Chauffois and and I'm thinking, uh oh, I probably shouldn't have said I was good at all that stuff because I don't know any of it. I'm sitting here with my French to English dictionary, just trying to figure out what the heck you're talking about. So, and these guys that actually paid attention and went to CIA and Johnson Wales, they're like, "This is awesome! I've been waiting to use this. I've been waiting to make you know radishes into roses to do a pheasant Galantine." So. I have zero skills in this area and they are planning these elaborate mirrors with 15 components and I, I have nothing. I'm about to be found out for the fraud that I am uh, until I notice in the walk-in a case of yellow crookneck squash. Oh. And I think to myself, you know what? You may just be able to pull this off. Let's go irreverent, faux irreverent and do almost like a, a parody of a garmage vegetable carving you'd put on a buffet. I grab that and I grab some green onions and some carrots and I try to remember how she did in it. I got the bamboo skewers and the half russet potato for the rock the bird sits on. And I make it, an, I don't know, I, I think I made like 10, 12 pairs of these and I had some like kissing and some looking in opposite directions. And, and, the, <laughs> and as I'm making these, the other cooks, the other top students, you know, these A students from the other culinary schools are walking by my station like, dude, what, what are you doing? I'm like, so it's a squash bird. They're like, that, you, that's what you're doing for the buffet? Uh, and I'm like, yeah, everyone's doing the fancy French this and that and the balancing and the wrap with this. I'm doing something a little different. I, I know how to do all that. You're an abstract impressionist. And of course, they all know I'm totally bullshit. And they're like, you don't know how to do any of this real stuff, do you? I'm like, I know plenty of that. Trust me. I'm, I don't need to show it off like you show offs. 
So anyway, here comes the buffet Friday night, uh, open the doors, people come into the buffet. And now these guys are bitter that I'm putting my squash birds even near their mirrors and their, you know, five tiered, whatever pates displays. Uh, and the chef's like, no, he said, you guys do anything you want. That's his approach. You know, we're going to keep an open mind here. Anyway, the crowd comes in and the squash birds were the hit of the buffet. Kids, grandmas, people taking pictures with them. I literally got called out to the dining room, like who did the squash birds? And now the line cooks who were just slightly annoyed before that I even tried to do this and they knew I was bullshitting. Now they're really bitter because now I'm actually getting all the love in the dining room and nobody, predictably, nobody cares about their rabbit balancing and their, you know, thrice, you know, wrapped, whatever, quail eggs. So uh, I made it, bluffed my way through. And you think, hey, that could be the end of the story. It gets much better slash worse. <laughs> All right. A couple of days later, we're breaking down the kitchen for the, you know, it's, it's only was like a couple months job. And we're all going to go our separate ways back home to maybe Shortsville, New York. And the chef calls me in his office. He's like, hey, John, uh, by the way, fun thing you did with the buffet there. Uh, I had some, <laughs> yeah, I had some hesitation, but you pulled it off. By the way, you do know how to do like actual garmage, right? I'm like, chef garmage, that was like my nickname in college. It was John Garmage Mitsuwish. That's what they called me. <laughs> so anyway, he's like, oh, that's good. Uh, you, you seem like you know what you're doing. So I, I thought that was the case. But anyway, I just wanted to check. I got some great news for you. My best friend, who I went to culinary school with, is the chef at the San Francisco Opera House. And he needs, guess what? A chef garmage. <laughs> and I've recommended you for the job because of your just massive garmage game. And so I'm like, chef, uh, we, we need to have a little chat. Uh, and I totally came clean. I'm like, you know, what? I can't let you do this to your friend. I'm a complete fraud and charlatan and literally squash birds. And maybe I could pull off a tomato rose. That is the extent of my garmage. I didn't pay attention to one thing. Couldn't make one of those things to save my life. And I probably should not be running the grand buffet at the San Francisco Opera House <laughs> with my skill level. And he's like, let me explain something to you now. He's like, how old are you? And I was like 19 at the time, or maybe I was even 18, turning 19. Anyway, young, young punk. Uh, he says, if someone offers you a free trip to San Francisco, even if you might get fired, you should probably just go anyway. And I really don't want to call my friend and sound like an idiot. I'd rather have you go and he figure out you just were a total fraud and then he can fire you. That's on you, not on your buddy. Yeah. So he's like, I'm going to kind of wash my hands of this. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm going by what you said, Garmage Master. And uh, you're going to go try to pull this off. And worst case scenario, you get sent back to Shortsville. You got a good funny story to tell. Uh, by the way, Greyhound Bus, Greyhound Food Service, that's who ran the concession at in Montana, Glacier National Park. So okay. my free trip, I'm envisioning, you know, first class. It was actually the back of a Greyhound bus through the Western states, you know, every curvy mountain road they could find. And I eventually made San Francisco on a Greyhound, walk into the opera house. I'm having deja vu because now the chefs there are very much upset. This 19 year old has come, uh, paid the same wage as them to put stuff around their food on the buffet to make it look better. That's what the general manager's big plan. He wanted the chef to bring someone in to really dress the thing up. And it was all like Stouffer's, not, not there's anything wrong with that. You know, Stouffer's 
steam table food. Instead of making the food better, they're like, I got an idea. Let's just put fancy garmage stuff around it. Well, <laughs> again, I don't know that stuff. So the chef's like, here, you know, go ahead, fill out your purchase order. You know, two case crookneck squash, five pounds russet potato. So I, he's like, what do you got going here? I was like, it's a little something I call squash bird. You're going to love it. So I did the exact same thing. I made like 12 pairs of these. I put them different pairings, different poses, one leg up, just, you know, I was expanding my, my repertoire and uh, much the amazement of everyone, including me, the guests come through the grand buffet at the opera house. Look at this. Oh my God. Finally, something decent looking down here. Same crappy roast beef, same carved Turkey breast, same, all the Hofbrau food they used to sell down there, but it had squash birds around it. There was something about that squash bird that just made people smile. And I think anyone that checks out the image of it is going to be like, oh, yeah, I get it. That does make me happy. So, uh, yeah, the one thing I paid attention to was the one thing that ended up saving my butt. And I actually never left San Francisco. I was there however many years. Right. Then. Uh, just recently moved up to Sonoma. But that was 1983. Amazing. And never went home. I bluffed my way through the first uh Opera season, got hired on the second season. I think I did maybe three altogether and then you know, went on to smaller and less interesting things. But anyway, it was quite a, a, an adventure. And, uh, and then when I used to teach at the Culinary Academy, that was my moral of the story. Pay attention to everything, even the thing you think is like the funniest, silliest little thing you normally wouldn't even care about. That might be the one thing you have to pull out of your bag of tricks later in life. So there were several happy accidents along that path uh, of how I started my career and got to San Francisco uh, and got something that's looked okay on a resume. San Francisco Opera House, like, ooh, Opera House. They don't just hire anyone, do they? It's like, well, actually, they do. I have an outrageous food take for you. And it's one that I absolutely personally agree with. It's that we do not eat cheese on fish. And uh, I, I wasn't necessarily aware of this as a thing because when I grew up, it wasn't even an option. It wasn't even something we thought about or talked about or like somebody said, hey, let's put some Parmesan on the linguine with clam sauce. Like no one ever thought to do that. Like, so it wasn't even a thing. Sure. And then the restaurant that I eat at quite often in the East Village is called the Aposto Canto. And the owner, Beatrice, she was like, absolutely not. And they were like, what? what? What do you mean? Absolutely not. Like, can I have some Parmesan? She's like, no, you can't have any Parmesan and I'm not bringing it to the table. And if you don't like it, you can go home. <laughs> I was like, wow. But the more I thought about it, the more I said, you know what? I'm in her camp. I am not down with putting cheese on seafood, especially Italian food. Well, uh, I could not disagree more. Uh, <laughs> With several things you said, uh, but also everything you said. Okay, great. Thank you. So you're not okay with putting cheese on fish. You've clearly, clearly stated that. Are you okay with putting fish on cheese? Uh, uh, what? Since, and I hate to break this to you. Are you going all chefy on me now? Since it's your homeland and I'm only 25%, paisano, I think the clinical term is, but uh, I'm pretty sure that if you go to the places where they make the really nice fresh ricotta or regatta or whatever they call it in that area, ricotta. That, that I've seen served with 
uh, cured anchovies, marinated sardines. So see, now we're getting into um, degrees like, oh, yeah, sure. You're talking about anchovies. That doesn't count. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here to say you can't put anchovies on a pizza, but you never put fish and cheese together. It's like, well, hold on a second. Either we can or we can't. We're expanding the thought process in terms of what's what's fish. Because whenever someone says, you, everybody, can never pair fish with cheese, it's not done. Italians don't want you to. It's too fundamentalist. It's too, we, there's always in food, there's always degrees and gray areas. See, now we're going to have to argue about, well, anchovies, that count as fish. It's, it's a cured product. It's more umami. You're not putting it on because you want something to taste like fish. I'm still not down with that whole thing. Okay. But that's personal taste. It is a thing. Okay. An Italian wouldn't walk over and like karate chop it out of your hand. If they saw you (laughs) eating a piece of of pizza with some anchovy on it, they just walk right by you. They're not upset. So that's all all I'm saying. Um, I hear that. So that's one thing. And now, and the other point is when I hear the Parmesan loophole, uh, for the same reason... I wouldn't, con- someone in this argument wouldn't consider anchovy fish classically because it's... Well, it's like a seasoning. It's, it's exactly. So is Parmesan. Parmesan, you don't necessarily have to grate over your base scallop linguine Alfredo because you want it to taste cheesy. You're upping up, you're upping the savoriness level. Maybe you're using it instead of salt. You're using it for the umami. So again, that's a loophole. And... My favorite drop the mic moment. So I'm arguing with this in a diner. We went out after a shift, you know, cooks go out, they drink, they eat bad food at diners. That's a thing. So I'm I'm having this argument with this dude and going back and forth. He wasn't even Italian, by the way. So it's hard to even take it seriously. And while we're arguing, I notice he's eating a tuna melt. <laughs> so I, so I, let him, I let him finish. And I said, you know what? I only have two words. I'm going to end this argument and then I'm just going to, we're going to pay and we're going to leave. Uh, two words, tuna melt. Nice. I think what we learned here today is never make reservations when you take your spouse away for a romantic getaway. Just take your chances, play by ear. Whenever you're around Italian people, you may or may not want to put cheese and fish together. It depends. And when in doubt, make a squash bird. And when in doubt to distract them, if there's any Kirkneck squash in the vicinity, Google Chef John Squashbird and make that sucker and watch people's faces light up and their troubles fade away.